Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 15 tonight. If a Christian wants to toy with God's grace, walk the razor's edge, you know, say they are part of heaven, but then live like hell the rest of the week, you are inviting the discipline of God into your life. Hebrews 12, God disciplines the son in whom he delights. If God loves you, he will discipline you. So that's a guarantee you have. I'm not talking about if you make a mistake that God's ready to whack you with the stick. I'm talking about if you continue to push the envelope and people get nervous and they say, well, how could you tell somebody they won't lose their salvation? Oh, well, if they're saved, I don't believe they will, but I believe they can be disciplined by the Lord. Number two, I believe they can lose rewards in heaven. Number three, I believe that you can lose your testimony before your friends and family. You may not lose your salvation, but you'll lose your witness. Is that what you want? After David sinned with Bathsheba, uh, the prophet told him, now you've given the enemies of God reason to blaspheme. Yeah, God forgave you, David, but it doesn't mean you don't have consequences. And in the, in the things that I would list to a, a person who is messing with the grace of God, that's probably fourth on my list, and that is Consequences. The child that was born to David and Bathsheba in that uh, extramarital adultery, that child died. That was God's discipline on David. Yeah, David was forgiven, but the baby died. So look, even though grace is amazing, and even though it saved a wretch like me, it doesn't mean that you toy with grace. It means you grow. You say, but... Pastor Michael, this may be like number five on our list. What if I make a mistake? Look, you're going to make mistakes every day. I make mistakes every day. Being a Christian is not about perfection. It is about direction. Being a Christian is not about being sinless, but it is about sinning less. And if you make a mistake, the best thing that you can do, and you will make mistakes, is repent of it quickly. So let's say you skin your knee, you blow it. Let's say that you consider something and you even, you know, think about it and you premeditated and you still sin. The best thing to do, instead of listening to the voice of the one who wants to condemn you, which is Satan, and knowing that you're not condemned in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.1, repent of it quickly, make amends if you need to, and move forward in your walk with Jesus Christ but don't toy with God's grace. You just not to do that. You see, there's a list that we can make of ramifications of when someone takes grace as an excuse for sin. David says, you don't delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. That's Psalm 51 16 and 17. And so this is what Abraham and David found. They found a God that is gracious, but a God that's also holy. Look at Galatians 3, verse 6. It says, even so, Galatians 3, 6, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The second place where this is quoted in the New Testament. 
Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. By the way, at this point in Abraham's life, Genesis 15, he's not technically a Jew. You could say he's a Hebrew, but he's not been circumcised. He will be circumcised in Genesis 17, which is about 14 years after this. So technically, he's not in that covenant, if you will. And so you might even say that right now he represents a group that could include Gentiles. I'll let you wrestle with that a little bit theologically. But the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. It is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So this is the second spot where it is mentioned. Now back to Genesis um, chapter 15 and I'll mention the third spot where it's mentioned because this, this does bring up questions and it's in James 2. And in that section, James is arguing Still, that we are saved by grace. I don't think he contradicts Paul, but what he's saying is that if you say you have faith and you have no works, can that type of faith save you? Here's the, here's the deal. If a man says he has faith, but he has no works, then what he truly has is a said faith and not a real faith. This is the essence of James chapter 2. The other place where Genesis 15, 6 is quoted. And what James is basically saying is, yes, you are saved by grace, but if you don't have works, then that faith is dead. It's not a real living faith. Abraham had marvelous works. He even was willing to sacrifice Isaac later in Genesis 22, but he was saved by grace. And that's the point of the passage. But because you are saved by grace, it should motivate you to do great works for God. Amen? You should want to live out a life of gratitude to God. But having begun in the spirit, we're not going to be perfected in the flesh. It's going to be all the work of the spirit. The work of the spirit in salvation and the work of the spirit in sanctification. If, you got, if you're born again of the Holy Spirit and now you're trying to get sanctified by the flesh, good luck. It's not going to work. 
And this is the essence of Galatians 3, 1 and 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, 1 through 3, Galatians 3. Who's bewitched you? You began in the spirit. Now you're going to be perfected in the flesh. Now, flesh, now you think you got to do it by works? No, that's not the deal. It's all the spirit. And the more I'm walking with the Lord, the more I'm realizing how much it's not just about, you know, uh, it's not really about self-effort at all. It's about surrender. You might want to write that down. It's not about self-effort. It's about surrender. And when I surrender to the Holy Spirit and the things of God, then the beauty of the life of God comes out of my life. Genesis 15, 7, he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out. You might want to write down Exodus 20, verse 2 there. Same language as when God brought out the children of Israel out of Egypt. I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, Genesis 15, 7, to give you this land, to possess it. Now, even with this great belief, Abram is still human. And he says, oh, Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? This is a great promise. And I don't know that this is a lack of faith. I think he's looking for more detail, maybe some confirmation. You ever been there before? Gideon did this. Lord, I'm going to put the fleece out. (laughs) What, three different times, Lord? I hope this doesn't bother you, but could I get one more (laughs) confirmation? One more validation? Anybody there? Lord, do you really want me to do that? I know you've given me 17 confirmations, but I'm looking for the 18th. And then I'll be, are you that person? When I get the 18th, when I, when I, get, when I get the 19th confirmation, the Lord's saying, go. What more do you need? But God is patient. And Abram says, how may I know that I shall possess it? And in here, in context, he's talking about the land. And now this intriguing ceremony. So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, that's a a calf or a cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, verse nine, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So God says, okay, Abram, we're gonna do a little ceremony here to confirm the covenant because you obviously still have some doubt. And what they would do in the ancient world is they, they had ceremonies. And in our ancient uh, you know, culture, we might lay our hand on a Bible or we might raise our right hand or we might have a certain way in which we confirm an oath or a promise. But in the ancient world, they did it with animal parts. Yeah, I know. And they would take animals and they would cut them along the backbone This will prepare you for our time of koinonia afterwards. (laughs) And they would cut the animals in half, and Abram does not cut the birds, and they would take animals and they would set them in rows and kind of take one half of the animal on the other side, and they would make kind of a row, and there could be an altar involved here. And the agreeing parties who were going to make the covenant would walk through the cut animal pieces, and the birds would be lined up here, and they were not cut probably because of their size. And the two would walk through the animal parts. And what they were saying is this, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, may what happen to these animals? That's pretty significant, isn't it? Imagine if we did this at modern wedding ceremonies. (laughs) Do you think it would lessen the divorce rate? 
may what happen to this animal? <laughs> wow. Uh, Brandon, do we have the video of the animal pieces? <laughs> Just kidding. We're not going to do that. In Jeremiah 34, uh, 17, the leaders proclaimed that they were going to set slaves free. This is Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20. And God said, they didn't follow through. And God said, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant. Listen to these words. Who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers, the priests, all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20. There's an illustration. They, they made a covenant. They made an oath before God, but then they didn't, they didn't fulfill it. And God said, there's going to be a price to pay. In Abram's day, an oath was confirmed by a ceremony with these animal pieces, the parties walk together. Uh, can two walk together unless they be agreed? We're told in the book of Amos. I almost picture a bride walking down the aisle, you know, in a covenant-type ceremony. The oath was especially sacred because of the shed blood and the violation of it was considered a great dishonor in this culture. And the animal pieces are there. And a substitutionary death is represented. Something has to die uh, in order to make the covenant. This all starts to point to the sacrificial system to be realized in Israel's later history. The intimation, one writer says, perhaps was that if he broke it, the substitutionary death of animals would no longer be efficacious and he himself or possibly his cattle would be subject to death. The ceremony dramatized a self-imposed curse should either of the covenant parties break the curse. Following this, presumably the animals would either be roasted or eaten or, or else be consumed by fire, close quote. Then he brought all these to him and he cut them in two, Abram did, and this probably took quite a while to do this, probably a day, at least a full day, and he laid each half, verse 10, opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. Now you imagine being Abram. You've done all this work. You have to get the animals. You have to cut them properly. You have to set up this ceremony. And now you're waiting on the Lord. And all of a sudden the birds of prey start swooping in because what are they attracted to? <laughs> Here's all these cut animal parts, right? And so you can imagine this scene if it was ever in a movie. You know, Abram's got a broom or something <laughs> trying to shoo away the birds. And so the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram, Abram drove them away. Uh, by the way, this uh, picture of the birds, some writers have said is a picture of Satan, how he tries to swoop in and ruin things that God is doing. And even in Egypt, and later the people will be in bondage to Egypt, they had a carrion type bird who was one of their gods. It was called Horus. And he was a carcass-eating god with a small g, a false god. And this is kind of a picture of Satan always trying to get involved in the work of God. And he must be shooed away. 
A picture of Israel down through the ages in bondage to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, um, Greece, Rome, you know, all the Ottoman Empire did, and even Nazi Germany and all these swooping in enemies. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, same language as what happened to Adam. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. So he's cut the animals and he's gone into this deep sleep and now he's got a sense of terror. Uh, Writers would say the terror is a sense of the arrival of God, like on Sinai, the holiness of God, the power of God. And God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. That's going to be the Egyptian bondage prophesied by God. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, 14, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. That indeed did happen under Moses. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they shall return here to the promised land for the iniquity of the Amorite, is not yet complete. Now, people read that and they say, what in the world is the iniquity of the Amorite? And I don't have the book I was going to bring in. I must have left it. But the Amorite was one of the Canaanite uh, people groups living in the promised land. And the Amorite, they were very wicked people. And God was so patient. In fact, there's a portion of Leviticus where it lists 15 or more sexual sins that they committed which are unspeakable and God warned the children of Israel do not repeat the sins of these people and the their God is so patient this is a picture of his patience that he waited and he waited and in fact it says the uh the iniquity is not yet complete God was being patient and when Israel went into Canaan Do you know that the Amorite had finally exhausted the patience of God so that when Joshua led the people of Israel into the land of Canaan, he was destroying people who had utterly exhausted God's grace. All these arguments from people who say, how could God allow Israel to go in and wipe out these peoples? These people, God waited on them for hundreds of years to repent. And they kept getting worse and worse and worse. So that this mission of Joshua when he went in was really the judgment of God. It wasn't them them stealing land away from other people. It was God's judgment. And God had been extremely patient. The Amorite is a way to say all of those who are in the land of Canaan or the Canaanites. And it came about, 17, when the sun had set, it was very dark. And behold, yeah, there appeared a smoking oven it's okay. And a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. So all of a sudden the sun went down. It was very dark and behold, God appears. And he's pictured as a smoking oven uh, or a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And it, this presence symbolic of God passed through the pieces. Abram was not passing through, only God was. And God is pictured as a, as a smoking oven or a smoking fire pot, which is an image of a refiner's fire. You all know what that's. You put metals into it, and you know they've been refined when the, the silversmith can see what? His own image in them. And he's like, he's like this fire, um, 
this uh, torch of fire speaks of God's holiness and his refiner's fire, a blazing torch, purifying, judging his awesome presence. And Abram is simply uh, watching on, if you will. He's not walking through. Only God makes this covenant, which makes it, by the way, an unconditional covenant. It's only dependent upon God. God is walking through the cut animal pieces and God alone. And listen to this. What God is saying then is if I don't keep my promise, may what happen to these animals happen to me. May I die if I don't keep my word to you, Abram. What do you think Abram might have been thinking at this point? Now we know it's impossible for God to die. He can't die. But you say, but in Jesus, God did die. Well, Jesus came as the God man and he was killed as a human being, but you can't kill God. It was impossible for death to hold him. And in a sub point, you could see that God is saying, hey, this covenant is good. If they could kill me, they could kill the promise. Are you hearing that, brother and sister? Because sometimes we feel like we're walking and we wonder, are the promises good? Hey, the promises are good. They're as good as God. God is eternal. It's impossible to stop what he wants to do. But in another sense, there's a beauty here on a deeper level. Since this all, Abram, you know, is going to, from his loins is going to come the Messiah. And the Messiah was cut for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. God is so serious about bringing you into his covenant. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. If you want to know how much God loves you, just take another look at the cross. Why would he go through that? Because he's true to his promises and because he's going to fulfill his word. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. We're almost done. Saying to your descendants, I have given this land. It's already a done deal from the river of Egypt as far as the great river of Euphrates, that would be from the Nile to the Euphrates. And this is, you know, you guys, I mean, in 48 and now in 67 in Jerusalem, Israel's back in the land. You all know that, right? So in, in part, this has been realized, but the fullness of the promise is coming when Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem. And Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Cadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, look at verse 20, and the Amorite, which was mentioned in verse 16, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your promises in Christ are yes and amen. Thank you that we are heading for the promised land. And your promise is good. In fact, you have made a covenant. And we are in the new covenant with Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever break it. 
Jesus will never die again. He died once for all of our sins. And now we're in covenant with him. And it's a promise really made unilaterally. It's a promise you made. You did the work. It's a promise that is eternal. But it must be responded to by faith. And even though you've paid that full price and you walked, you walked Gethsemane into the cross alone, yet you will ask us, Lord, to receive what you've done for us at Calvary. Now, I would like to say to the listeners is that God is calling you just as he had been calling Abram. He says, I am the one who called you. I am the one who's going to take you to a land. I am the one who's given you descendants. In the same way, listener, you are worth it. God is calling you. He is calling you by name. I want you to be with me. I want you to accept the inheritance that is there waiting for you at the end of all this. Not only that, but share your faith. Share the joy. Uh, salvation is a free gift. Don't hold it to yourself. And Oscar, we know that in Genesis 22, we have a picture of the cross and the gift that the father gave of his son. And we know how much God loves us by that cross. The cross we sang on Sunday is the final word from God. It is finished. The empty tomb is also his final word, right? Because it shows that he conquered death. But Um, For our listeners out there, Oscar, who, you know, there may be some non-Christians listening right now. Mm -hmm. If you want to know how much God loves you, he initiated the new covenant through the blood of his son. That's how much he loves you. So open your heart to Jesus. If you've never done this before, it's something like this, Lord Jesus. And I would encourage you to pray it right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe that you are God. I believe that you came into this world to live the perfect life that I could not live. I believe you died on that cross for me and rose from the dead and defeated death and you've brought eternal life and I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to repent of my sin and receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you did that today or maybe you rededicated your life, we'd like to know. Would you reach out to us through livingtruthradio.org? That's livingtruthradio.org. Use the contact form and say, hey, Pastor Michael, I committed my life to Jesus Christ today and we'd like to get materials into your hand or help you in any way we can. We certainly want to be praying for you. You can do all of that through the contact form. Just say, hey, here's my name. I listen on this station. This is what I did. I opened my heart to Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'd be happy to send you a Bible. If you need a Bible, let us know in the contact form and we'll get a Bible into your hands. If you need help with finding a home church or anything else that you might need, just use the contact form at livingtruthradio.org. Hey, thanks for listening. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on this radio broadcast. Keep us in prayer. And if you can partner with us, donate to the radio ministry. You can do all of the above at livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz and Andy Chapel, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and we will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the Church tab. You can follow us on Instagram, at livingtruthcorona, or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.